Welcome to the Business Gorillas Podcast, where the biggest, mightiest, and most fearless business owners share their closely guarded secrets and strategies with your host, serial entrepreneur, and marketing badass, marketing badass, Josh Rosenberg. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm really excited for this interview. This is going to be a really good one. Uh, I'm here joined by my friend and mentor, Mr. David Garfinkel. Uh, David has worked with businesses um, and business owners and marketers to help improve their copywriting, increase sales and revenue for over 30 years. This guy is a living legend. He's amazing at what he does. Um, he's known as the world's greatest copywriting coach. Um, he he's, uh, has a weekly podcast called The Copyrights Podcast, which is awesome, that I listen to not every single week, but most weeks, where he breaks down a lot of uh, theory and rules and techniques and styles and stuff into very easy to understand and executable uh, uh, skills, which is super helpful. Uh, whether you're just getting started or maybe you're more experienced, you've got some writer's block, I definitely recommend The Copyrights Podcast. He's also authored numerous books, including Breakthrough Copywriting, which was a huge help to me when I was getting started, uh, and Advertising Headlines That Can Make You Rich, which is fantastic. Uh, it's a really good reference uh, source for coming up with headline ideas, which, as we've talked about in the course, that is the very first thing people see when they land on a webpage, or they open an email, or they see a, an ad, it's a headline, and if that does not get their attention, they don't read another word. So the headline is crucial and David's book will give you all the inspiration you need. Uh, he's been writing for over 30 years and he's got coaching clients all over the planet. Um, I, I think he's got, I mean, David, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but countries like Romania and Spain, Israel, and South Africa, and of course here in the United States. Um, so he's really, his knowledge stretches every kind of uh, business and every writing style universally around the world. So it's amazing. Um, one of the things that I really love about David's writing is he's able to help create very compelling, very interesting, very fun, and very persuasive stories uh, with very little room. I mean, a lot of people might need five, six, 10, 20 pages to write everything they want to about their story, whereas David can do it in a few sentences or a couple short paragraphs. Um, he's proven his work in over a hundred different industries. I can go on and on and sing his praises for the next hour, but I got to keep him humble. I can't kiss his ass this much. Uh, so David, thank you very much for, for joining us for this. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate the intro and um, yeah, it's all true basically. Um, I remember I've known Dave, I've known of David for really since I got started in this world 13 years ago and probably about a decade or so ago, went to an event, an industry event that was hosted in Vegas. And one night we're at a, a dinner, there's maybe 60 of us there at this huge stretched out table. And I got seated right across from Dave and we got to talking pretty much the rest of the night. We had a great time and we've remained uh, friends since then, which was, which is awesome. Um, 
Now, as I, I've mentioned before in the course, my copywriting has made generally close to $60 million for my clients over the years. I've created some of the top selling offers in the world at, uh, in different industries. And one thing that a lot of people don't talk about is when you get to a very advanced level, you, you don't let your, your work um, go out, go live to the public until you, you know, you're consulting with your friends and colleagues, other people that are uh, also at a similar or higher level. You want them to tear your work apart because it'll only make it better. And David has been the person that I've turned to more times than, than not. Um, that's how much I believe in his expertise. So this is going to be really, really fun and really information packed. Um, so Dave, when we're talking about storytelling, um, I want to know really why is it that important to, to tell a story and not just give you brass tacks. For instance, let's say you have a client who is a furniture salesman. And they have a bookshelf that they're listing on their website they want to sell. They could spend three seconds and say this bookshelf is six feet high by three and a half feet wide. It's got five shelves and it's made of this kind of wood. Why would they hire somebody to tell a story, to tell you where in the country they found the trees that were used to make this wood? Why would they tell you that the carpenter who made it is a third generation carpenter who hates factory-made, mass-produced stuff and insists on doing everything by hand? Why would they tell you that it's a subtle yet elegant piece that will look great in your living room? Why would they tell you that the top shelf is the perfect mantle place for your family photos where your most cherished memories can be on display forever? Why spend the money and go through that effort? Yeah, great question. And um, so the thing about stories there there's a couple reasons why you'd want to use a story in a case like that or really uh in in any kind of writing whether it's you know journalism or fiction or and certainly copywriting and the first reason is we are genetically predisposed as people all people all races all cultures all times in history to listen to stories there's lots of theory as to why that's true, but it really doesn't matter for this conversation. What It is true. We tend to listen to stories more than a simple recital of the facts. Um, so that's the first reason. The second reason is when you're selling a product, um, if it's a digital product, you're just selling electrons. If it's a physical product, it's not only electrons, but protons and neutrons. Boring, but when you start to take the product into the experience of the person who's going to be using it, buying it, and using it in the future, or when you go back to talk about the history of the product itself, it becomes a lot more than the materials that it's made of. It's not exactly like it becomes another person, but it does seem to have a life of its own. And stories are the most efficient and surefire way to do that. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I could think of a countless amounts of uh, companies out there that go out of their way to make you feel like um, having their product is part of your identity. Um, it's part of 
how other people will perceive you. You know, Apple is probably the best in the world at that, you know, especially when um, the iPad, uh, iPod first came out and it was this revolutionary device. It was a nightclub in your pocket. When the iPhone came out, it was a status symbol that if you took out your, your iPhone, other people in around the, you know, around you would see that and associate you with being of a, a certain kind of person. Um, yeah, there's a, a book, one of my favorite books on copywriting is called How to Write a Good Advertisement by Victor Schwab. Mm. And he has this little, um, I, I guess it's a, I forget what you call it, uh, when you put all the letters together. Um, boy, PT mom, B-O-Y-P-T mom, M-O-M. Because of you, people think more of me, you being the product. People will buy for status. They will buy for um, enhanced identity. Now, you have to think it through so it's believable and it doesn't seem corny. You mentioned Apple. Uh, I love Apple products. I've lost count of how many I have in my house. Um, I will also say that Apple was, I don't know if it still is, it's probably number two or three. It, it was the highest valued company in the world just in terms of, you know, dollars of equity. Mm -hmm. um, there's got to be a connection. There's always a connection between a company's marketing and their success, uh, you know, financially. Oh, absolutely. And the sad reality is a lot of times the better quality product is not the one that goes on to be successful. Um, beta max tapes were higher quality video production wise than VHS, but VHS won. Yeah. yeah. The, the market, I mean, you could make a case and I know these are fighting words, but we're not in bars that too much these days that Apple is a higher quality computer than a windows computer, but windows really did better marketing. You know, Apple did great marketing, but there are a lot more windows computers. Um, in, in the early days, um, yeah. Microsoft was certainly ahead of the game and yet Apple had the last laugh, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to that matter, before I started recording this call, the very first thing I told you when we got on was that uh, about this, this drink, sparkling ice that I have in my hand. It's, I used to drink soda 24-7. And, well, not, all right, that's a hyperbole. I used to have... No, but it's water. not good. I No, I was making a yeah, face. Because, no, I, uh, I would have at least a 20-ounce bottle a day or so. Um, and this stopped my addiction to it. There's no sugar. There's no artificial anything. It's all natural. It's, uh, it's not, I, I wouldn't say it's a healthy drink like, you know, coconut water would be, but it's much, much better for you. Problem is, is that they have terrible marketing. I would never, the design on the bottle is awful. So I would see it in the, the store and I never would have bought it simply because of that. And their ads are awful. If it weren't for me walking around to a park where they were giving out free samples, I never would have bought it. Okay, let me let me let me interrupt you because you're making a good point in in terms of stories. So what happened is you found a product that generally had terrible marketing, but you got a sample of it, and in, in the park at a maybe a little table they'd set up. Yep. If you use a story in your copy well, that's like giving the product the prospect a sample of your product too, because they get to experience it in their imagination, and then they start to experience FOMO, you know? Yeah. Oh my God. Um, I just had it now. I don't have, I just imagined I had it. Now I don't really have it. I got to have it. Right. Um, I very well 
could, I, I actually, I contacted them and they, they have a big corporate head that assigns, you know, who, who does their marketing. So it's not a, an in-house decision, but I basically explained that story to them and they said, that's fantastic. We don't make the call. So there was not really a way for me to, to get in on that, but that would be a story that could be told. Obviously the designers that created the label probably don't want their work to be equated to crap, but it, I, I think in a way that actually could enhance it. If that story came across that this is the bottle that you'd normally would ignore, never think to purchase in the stores because of that, you can tell that story and generate a lot of sales as a result of that alone. Uh, let me, let me give you another example. I'm, I've had plenty of examples where I wanted to help people and I reached out and like nothing happened, sure. but I, I had a, a slightly different one uh, that came out to the positive and it's sort of along the same lines. Um, I do a lot of audio recording, you know, with my podcast, I do some stuff with music. And so I have a lot of plugins, um, a lot of little apps that go into the main uh, music and audio editing program. I use mm -hmm. Apple logic. There are other ones other people like, but I like logic. Mm -hmm. And I just happened upon this one uh, product called instant dialogue cleaner, IDC instant dialogue cleaner. It was, for mainly for for people in movies and people in um, uh, electronic journalism, because you know you're you're out in the street and there are sirens going, or there's wind, or there's kids, or there's traffic, sure. and it can it it can make the background disappear a little differently than most other noise. It uses some kind of AI. I don't know what it does, but it it works really well. So I bought it, and um, let's see. I bought it for 119 bucks and I tried it and I was so excited. I wrote back to him and I said, you know, I've been wanting to do an audio book and I don't want to go to a studio and it's just a little too noisy here. There's traffic in the street and so forth. And um, the guy, so at that time they, there was a trade show and they dropped the price from 90, 119 to $99 and the guy writes back to me and says, that's great, David. Can we use this as a testimonial? I said, sure you can. And it's not contingent on it, but could I get the show special price since you just dropped the price $20? And he said, I'll see about that. And they refunded 20 bucks to me. So sometimes these kind of things happen even when you're not really looking for them to happen. Now, if you think about it, what I sent them was a story. Uh, and here's the, let me let me sort of break down the structure very simply. I wanted to do audiobooks. I had this obstacle. I couldn't um, do it in my house because it was too noisy, and I didn't want to go to a studio because it was too uncomfortable, too expensive. I tried your product. Now my problem is solved, and I wasn't even thinking of it. I was just excited, and I wanted to tell somebody, and I figured I'd tell them. Yeah, I mean those kind of testimonials. I've seen cases where people, it almost sounds like you're coming off fake and dishonest because it's so earnest and it really, you lay out, I mean, obviously as a marketer, you know the structure of how you lay out. Here was the problem that I had. Here's what the solutions I thought were available. Here's why they didn't work. Then I saw your product and here's how it improved my situation. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's basically a great formula, a great template for a testimonial and also for a story inside your copy. Yeah. Because, you know, a, a lot of times I, I just, um, as we're recording this today, next Monday, I have a, 
a podcast on something I'm calling complaint copywriting. Now, somebody who's dyslexic might think that says compliant copywriting, um, which we're also going to do. But no, complaint copywriting is when you're just bitching and moaning about something when other people are too, and you come up with a product or an offer that gets past that, that's a very strong way to sell it. So, you know, in, in a way, if, if the guys who make sparkling ice were smart, they would come up with a complaint copywriting um, story based on, or not them, because it's out of their hands. The people right. in whose hands it is would come up with a campaign, or maybe even hire you, to uh, uh, talk about how you love soda, you really, you get thirsty during the day, you don't like to drink water, but you were really ruining your teeth and your um, um, metabolic pH and this and that and the other thing. And then you found sparkling water and it, it solves all of, it gives you all the pleasure. It solves all of the problems that, that soda used to without all of the negative side effects. You I know, read a, a statistic a few years ago that said that uh, if you were to drink a Jack and Coke, the worst ingredient in there is the Coke. <laughs> I can believe it. It Jack does Jack more, good for you. more damage to you than whiskey does, which <laughs> I, I, I saw that and I said, if there's ever an opportunity for me to use this, I will. This is one of those things that you can just store away in a little file somewhere and you just keep for when you can use it. And Well, I, I have a lot of clients who either have nutritional supplement companies or write copy for them. And when you start to dig into what's really going on with food and nutrition in America and anywhere else where big food sort of has control of the marketplace it's it's pretty daunting to put it politely yeah it all comes back to sugar as like the main culprit and then you've got the big corporates that are doing horrible things yeah no i i we, we agree but uh let's get back on track so sure i really wanted to to give the people that are going to be watching this something very valuable something very cool that they can use right now to generate more clients and more business and be able to really help themselves. Mm -hmm. One thing that I've noticed um, is that every, obviously because we're living in pandemic times, uh, gyms are closed and the ones that are, are uh, smart were able to pivot and they did so by making all of their training virtual. So you might have trainers doing group classes, but they're doing it by recording on their phone uh, from their home or it might be one-on-one -on -one personal training. And you know, there's different, costs, you know, $10 for this group training, 50 for private one-on-one or buy a monthly pass or whatnot. And if you live in an area where you're the only gym that does what you do, maybe you live somewhere where there's one yoga studio, one CrossFit gym, it's not that hard to stand out because there's no competition. But how would you go about making your gym stand out when there is competition and there are other crossfit places or you know cardio boxing gyms that do what you do and are also doing it online how can you create a story so that if i am a person reaching out to a gym owner and offering to to help them and help improve their marketing how can i what can i bring to the table that will actually make a difference to that business owner okay so um, one, one of the things you need to do if you're going to be very 
effective in, in this kind of thing and standing out in the crowd from competitors is to know your customers really, really well. And I, I have an example that my um, podcast producer, Nathan Fraser, used on the podcast. So it, it's not, uh, you know, secret or anything. Um, he has a client who, who was doing that. He was a personal trainer um, and very high end working for CEOs and celebrities. And most of his clients were women, are women. And so even though I think he was doing virtual stuff before, what he was promising them was, you know, great attractiveness, tremendous sexual power um, from- Look better when, naked. What, yeah, basically, in, in so many words. Um, once, two weeks after the pandemic started, none of them wanted that. The women, they were all growing hair in their legs again. They just didn't care. They wanted to be safe. And so he completely changed his pitch, not because it was a good idea that, to talk about that during the pandemic, but because he knew his clients well enough to know that that was what they wanted. And so I don't know the whole um, details, all the details of the pitch, but the essence of it was, um, you know, here's a way, here's why you'll stay safe, you know, working with me. And here's how, I mean, maybe it was to build up your immune resistance, you know, not feel the urge to go out and find a gym. You can do this all at home. So it's essentially to adapt your marketing very specifically to what your clients are interested in. Most businesses um, are very big about beating their own chest and um, talking about what they think is important. And that only really works most of the time if what you think is important is the same thing your client thinks is important. What you think is important about what's different about you is what your client thinks. When you can talk about it from your client's point of view, obviously positively from your point of view, but focusing in, you know, in, in, uh, in so many words, empathy, then that, that's really effective. Yeah. Um, one example that I like to use a lot is um, business or the idea is that business owners for the most part are too close to their product to see it objectively from what their customers want. They can't see the forest of the trees and they might want to talk about all of their great features and their bells and whistles when that's not really what matters to the client. So it, I've done this countless times in the weight loss industry where I knew that the business owner the, at the end of the day, the answer is diet and exercise stick to uh, a strict diet stick to an exercise regimen, hold yourself accountable. The hardest problem, the reason that people fail is accountability. That's the truth. However, that's not the truth that the customer wants to hear. The customer wants to hear that they can eat a donut and still lose weight. The, uh, the, my goal was to create a program that felt like it was a diet donut. You burn calories by, by eating that donut. Now that's not a real thing, but I had to go about trying to create something as close to that as possible while still remaining honest. And so if um, you're a gym owner right now and you're talking about the, how awesome each of your trainers are, because a lot of gym owners that have very talented trainers that are, you know, especially in New York and Miami and LA where it's, 
you've got like the, these uh, pro athletes, you know, after, you know, or former athletes who are now training, they're going to want to highlight that. Well, at the end of the day, I don't give a shit about that. I'm, I, I feel like crap when I don't have some kind of exercise, just something. It doesn't need to be much, 10, 15, 20 minutes here or there. I just need something. Otherwise, I just don't feel well. I don't sleep well. I don't, my brain doesn't work as well. I feel like hell. That's what I'm caring about. And so if you're telling me about trainers and I'm telling you that, that I need just some, you know, something that I can do from home that I still get a workout in, we're in two different worlds. You need to, to, to talk to me about how this workout in 10 minutes, 15 minutes is the equivalent of 45 minutes of cardio walking, you know, on a treadmill and how I'm going to, I can start my day first thing, get it out of the way in 15, 20 minutes, boom, move on with my day. And I still feel great. I still get the benefits. And, you know, I don't have all the things I, I dread. I don't have the bloating. I don't have the, the stiffness, the snort, the soreness. I don't have the, you know, general fatigue in the middle of the afternoon that I get would otherwise get. Um, so to go back to what you're saying, yeah, you've got to understand what your customer wants and tailor your message to that. Yeah. And um, I, I had a guy on my podcast, old friend of mine, Jim Van Wick, who was um, very unusual among entrepreneurs. Well, first of all, he, he built conventional brick and mortar businesses with copy. But secondly, uh, he sold his businesses, one for two for over a million and one for over 10 million. And what he, he said in advice to business owners, and he said it very dramatically, I'm, I'm not even going to try to uh, replicate his voice, but he said, you are not your customer. And, you know, if, if you try and tell people uh, what they should care about, that's a losing proposition, especially with advertising, especially with direct response advertising. You've really got to find out what they want and find a way to essentially mold and transform what you're offering into something that gives them what they want or will get them what they want if they use it. I remember um, a number of years ago reading uh, an article. Basically, they were selling a product that teaches you how to do market research and make sure that what you want to sell is actually that there's a, a customer base for it. And they're telling a story of some, I don't know if I'm assuming that it's real or it's based on reality because I've heard similar stories over the years. Somebody, we'll, we'll call him Bob. Bob has an idea that he, for a business that he thinks would be awesome. Um, tells his friends, tells his spouse, tells everyone around him about his new business idea. And most of them are not too enthusiastic. They're Eh, not really feeling this idea, but Bob is positive that this is the next billion dollar idea. So to prove them wrong, he goes out of his way and spends $5,000 to create a prototype. And doesn't really, the interest really still isn't there. He has 20 of these prototypes made up and he says, if I could sell these 20, now will you believe in me? People are like, I, maybe. He can't sell his 20. They're sitting there just collecting dust in his garage. But he's still um, determined to prove that his idea is right. And his excuse is that all I did was knock on neighbors' doors. 
I didn't go out to a wide enough market. I didn't get enough people to see my product. So now he remortgages his, he mortgages, uh, takes another mortgage on his house and he invests $200,000 to mass produce this product and try to get it in front of as many eyes as possible. And he's now living in the same storage unit where his, all of the unsold boxes are. And yep. that's because he didn't do market research. And like I said, I, I don't know if that particular story is exactly based on someone, but that's a common enough story. You hear that all the time. Yeah. And, and sometimes people get arrogant uh, and they've been successful before, maybe probably not in marketing. And they think, Oh, that's not true for me. I can, I'll show you, I can, I can make anything work. And, you know, it's like if, if Newton tried to defy the law of gravity, it, it's just, I guess there are occasionally exceptions, but um, I would never want to bet on being one of those exceptions. I was um, hired not too long ago to write some copy for somebody for a client. And um, it's basically, you know, um, getting started running your own business, being an entrepreneur. And this wasn't tied to online businesses. This was just, it, it was similar to the book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which just really was about mindset and giving you a foundation of ideas. And while I'm writing, I came up with something that I, I was so tempted to keep for myself and to not use for this client, but I did anyway. And it was very, very successful. And that was the idea that not all dollars are created equal. A hundred dollars made by one person is not at all the same as made by someone else. Anybody can get lucky and sell a product for a hundred dollars one time. It's the person that can sell a product for $10 and then replicate that nine more times. That's a business that is able to sell, that is able to grow. Yeah. That, that $10, 10 times over is worth a whole lot more than a hundred dollars one time. It's a great idea. I've never heard that before. And too bad you had to give the idea away to him, but uh, it's still a brilliant idea. Oh, thank you. I mean, I can uh, change up some of the phrasing, you know, the, the explanation slightly and reuse it. I don't, I don't think there's uh, going to be a problem with that. But when I came up with that, I sat there and that's just one of those moments where you're sitting there, you look at your copy and like, God damn, that is good. Why didn't I think of this before? And like, you now feel inspired by something you came up with, which I know is almost like a kind of arrogance in a way, but it happens. Um, yeah. Um, well, it, it, it's useful. I mean, it, if, you've, if you've created value with your own brain, that's a pretty good feeling. Right. Uh, absolutely. And I've, you know, I know, I, I'm sure you would agree to this, that, um, and you probably know exactly who, who came up with this idea. Uh, this is going to kill me that I can't remember his name because he's a legendary marketer that um, may, may have been Eugene Schwartz, um, that when you, you take your sales copy and you show it to your friends and your colleagues, if they tell you, oh, this is fantastic, it's wonderful, he would rip it up and start over. It's not until his friends would say, I want to buy this. Well, how do I get my hands on it? That he knew that he was onto something. Yeah, that was Halbert. That was Gary Halbert. Gary Halbert, yes. Um, when I read that, I, I kind of had to go back and reread it like five, six more times. And You know, this is maybe a decade ago, I read that originally and that stuck with me. That's one of the most important, long lasting, truest lessons that I ever learned. And that's one of the reasons that I I've sold as much as I have. I've, I spent a year on almost a year writing one sales letter, which is crazy. I went through 54 drafts of it. The video portion of it, the video sales letter version of it is 73 minutes long. 
it became the number one uh, selling sex program in history. And it was because I would not stop until people told me, you know, said, shut up, I've read enough. How do I get my hands on it? And that's really, that's incredibly important. It's, you don't need to write something for a year and something that's, you know, at the end, I think it was probably close to 3000 pages. Or you don't need to do that. If you're writing, it might even be email copy or a Facebook ad or some, something short on a web page um, that you only have a couple of paragraphs to write. But if you can write something where as you're writing it, you're ready to hit buy now or head to cart, that's how you know you're really onto something, right? Do you agree? Well, not only do I agree, but um, almost inevitably I end up um, taking on people for a paid mentoring program and buying all their products. I mean, as, as I'm helping them with, uh, their copy, I start to see, geez, this is a really good product. You could say this better because I think, and then I'm the one who understands it better. And how do I get that? Yeah. I mean, it's true. This, this is hard for someone who's new because when we learn writing in school, it's usually a subject, a topic. And, uh, it's, and then, from you know having all of these rules about not ending sentences with prepositions and paragraphs needing to have five sentences, all all these rules that don't apply in real life, then we're told be creative, just express yourself. Like there's no rules, and it's all a subject. It's you know like you could be learning history or geometry, um, or in your case, sex education. That way, well, but, I sold that business several years ago, so uh, I'm I'm past those days. <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, in, in your former life. So, um, but copywriting is not a subject. It's an activity. It's, it's more like gym class. Um, it's more like NASCAR. It's more like, um, uh, what's Elon Musk doing? Uh, you know, aerospace. It's about, there's a motion there, there, there's a, there's a momentum to copy that, creates emotion in people and ultimately conviction, decision, and action. And so you, you, you've got to be able to write, I mean, from that point of view to start with, that, that, that there's something going on here, that this is not just, you know, some flat subject, but that it's got life and it's got action. Right. Um, I have... It- on my desk right here, I've got a, a simple lighter. If I were going to put up, you know, want to sell this lighter and I just wrote about how long it'll last. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's great. That's boring. But if I create a story about, you know, it can, it, it can be about your experience using it, how it feels in your hand, the weight of it, and how you always know that it's in your pocket, that it's always secure, that it, your fingers wrap around it in a way that it feels like it's a natural extension of your body about it being this sleek, elegant, refined thing. And, you know, maybe a Zippo lighter would be better at that, that it's a conversation start. It's a, um, you know, if you step outside for a cigarette and there's other smokers out there and they see you bring this out, people are going to start a conversation with you because of that. Like now I've created, I've given this lighter some life. And so, so yeah, that, that's good. And you're, you're too damn good. I'm starting to feel inadequate about the lighters that I have, even <laughs> though I have some that look exactly like that in a different color. Um, 
let me let me make a couple of points to break down what you were doing because it, it's really good. Um, well, you were certainly doing the boy PT mom, right? Because of you, the lighter people think more of me, Josh. But secondly, um, you were conveying the experience of the lighter and and the results. And thirdly, and I think this is what this, this is what school kind of teaches us not to do because it's you know not intellectual. Um, it's sort of below us and so forth. But it's actually what works and how people talk in real life. Sensory descriptions. You're talking about how it looks. You're talking about how it feels in your hand. You're talking about how it makes you feel, which is kind of sensory, kind of emotional. Uh, you might talk about the uh, suave uh, 007 sound of the click if if you had a slightly suave or lighter than you know the yeah, 50 this, cent this one. is a, a 99 cent big lighter. Like it, it, I just use it because it's right in front of me. But no, it, yeah. that's okay. But I mean, you, um, you know, I. I did something on my podcast to, you know, make a, make a point, which I think fits in here. And I was saying, suppose you had dog food and you were writing a sales letter to a dog. I don't mean to the dog's owner. I don't mean to the dog's owner to read to the dog. I mean to the dog himself or herself. So would you talk about the lack of antibiotics in the food? Mm, no. Would you talk about the... Um, uh, grass-fed cattle that um, it was used in. No. Dogs mainly have a sense of smell. They have 40 times the smell processing in their brain that humans do. So you would talk more about the smell than anything else. You would talk about the smell as the owner is opening the can far above your reach. You would talk about the smell as the can comes down to the bowl. You would talk about the burst of flavor in your nostrils you know dogs have two smelling systems we only have one seriously they do mm -hmm. um and then you would talk about the oral orgasm when the dog actually starts to eat the food and so obviously you're not going to talk to humans like dogs but there's more similarity than most people realize you're still talking about sensory experience as opposed to uh, intellectual constructions we live in a world of so many intellectual constructions and abstract ideas that have little to do with how we actually make decisions, except when, say, you're in politics and you're looking for someone who's really woke or really conservative, and then you feel good because you're voting for someone who aligns with your really whatever values. For the most part, no, though. For most products, we, we talk about we we get them because of how it makes us feel to have them, what we think other people are going to think about us, or what it feels like to use them more, and this is probably the most important thing, what it feels like when we get the result we're looking for with this product that we couldn't get with other products for whatever reasons. No, absolutely. You're 100% right. Um, we live in a society where a lot of our decisions are based on how we think other people will perceive us. And, you know, it, the t-shirt industry does this amazingly well. You buy a t-shirt because you know other people will find it funny or clever or it looks good on you and they're going to find it attractive. When I mentioned the lighter, one of the things that I had said was it's a conversation starter. You know, we're inherently somewhat social creatures. Some people are more extroverted, some more introverted, but for somebody out of the blue, a stranger, to start off 
a conversation and have an interest in getting to know you. And usually it'll be a, a compliment like, holy shit, that's a really cool lighter. That's an experience that we all like consumers want to have. Right. Talk about that. You know, that that's part of the, the storytelling in there. Um, talking about the, uh, the dog food and the smell. And, you know, if this were going to be a much longer drawn out ad, you could talk about how wolves are able to, to find their dinner from miles away because they smell it. In short form copy, you really don't need to go into that level of detail. But you can talk about how once the dog experiences this food one time, hearing the crack of opening that can, that little uh, cracking sound that it makes, that is going, it's going to be a Pavlovian response where now the dog, it could be sound asleep in the other end of your home, will wake up and come running into the kitchen. You won't be able to get their food in their bowl because they'll be pouncing on it too quickly. You know, that, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, you can tell that kind of a story yeah. in a couple of sentences. Yeah, absolutely. And those are the kind of stories that I um, like. The problem is a lot of people can get writer's block trying to think of what are those two sentences. So let me, because they're just going to be going, well, it could be this one or this one. Let me talk about the RCA principle. This is Please. from Joe, Joe Carbo. You know, Joe Carbo wrote The Lazy Man's Way to Riches. Yep. So um, I'm sure you remember RCA, but I bet a lot of people listening to this don't. It, it, they used to make radios. In fact, RCA stands for Radio Corporation of America. Yep. And this isn't really about RCA. This is Joe Carbo's metaphor um, or analogy or some kind of thing like that. Uh, he said, build the biggest, most complicated, best radio that you can, number one. Number two, keep taking parts out of it until it stops working. And I, I have a client who writes control emails. The emails last like two years. I mean, the, the companies keep mailing them on different lists and it keeps making money. And he was, he was having problem writing short. And one day, I'm not sure if it, I suggested it or he did it out of desperation or just out of light bulb went off over his head he took, wrote a long email and then he boiled it down to the fewest number of words and they tested them, A, B split, side by side. They tested 100 or 1,000 and 100,000 of the shorter one. The shorter one did better. And so I said to him, you know, that's how you should do it. It seems like extra work, but you're not going to go through that writer's block of which two sentences should I use, Josh? You, you'll just, you'll just do it. And, um, so he does, and it's working out really well, and he just, his career has skyrocketed, clearly not just because of me or the RCA principle, but they've helped him as he's had to get yeah, more things course, done sir. faster. Yeah, I mean, we, we all gain knowledge and experience, and we refine our skills from lessons here and there. It's very rarely it's ever one source of information. Um, but, yeah, it, one of the hardest things when you get to writing copy and I find this with a lot of um, people that I've trained and new copywriters and even people that have been going through the white knight system who never ever consider a career in marketing before it's once you kind of are acclimated to it, you have a tendency to write too much. Now you're, you're doing product research and there's so many great stories and ideas and you want to tell them all because they're all fantastic. And one of the hardest things is cutting the fat you might have a fantastic story and it could be, uh, it, it could hit all of the right um, talking points. 
but you might have to get rid of it because sometimes you just for the sake of time or uh, page space available or whatnot of people's attention span, you just, you can't get everything in there at once. And it does become yeah. hard to write short. Uh, a couple things about that. So you're in New York city. Uh, I used to uh, live in New York city a couple times when I worked at publishing companies and there's a literary saying, maybe you know who said it, I can't remember, but it's popular among fiction writers and it's popular among copywriters. And that is murder your darlings. When you think you have something that is just so perfect, sometimes that's the thing that needs to be edited out. The other thing that really helps is to understand simple cells. It's a bit of an ironic thing because you have to know every living detail, every possible objection, all the best responses to overcome those objections. But that's not what ends up in the final product. I mean, if, if this is um, a, a little too close to home for people to see, think about some of the, um, well, the best-selling pop song of all time, White Christmas, um, which Bing Crosby sang and didn't write. Someone else wrote that. In those days, they had Tin Pan Alley. Different people wrote them. It's such a simple song. It's a beautiful song, but it's not complicated. And, you know, all of the bebop jazz, which I study a lot from the 50s, which is very complicated, only, only you know, really specialized music geeks listen to that. It's, you won't find it on the top 100 selling list. So I'm not saying which kind of music is better. I'm saying if you're in the business of selling, focus on what sells, Absolutely. not what you think. Focus on what the market thinks. Absolutely. I mean... Uh, it's a well-known fact that of all of like the top 40, you know, songs that have been sung for the last couple of decades, it's written by two Jewish guys. Every musician, every singer, every pop song you've ever heard in the last, let's say 20 years, it's written by the same two guys because they've figured out the formula that people want. They know when the, the, what the rhythm needs to be like. They know when the, the chorus needs to come in. They, They've figured out the formula, and that's a lot of um, what copywriting is. It's not reinventing the wheel all the time. It's understanding that there is a formula, and you know, you're, you're, it's really difficult to teach people that formula in um, very few words, especially when you're getting started. As you get more experience, and people, you know, let's say you've been writing for five, six years, you'll and uh, you, you, you hire a mentor to, to kind of bring you to the next level, they know you've seen enough marketing that you can recognize patterns. And so when they're explaining what, where these patterns come in and why, that it, it makes a lot of sense. That's something that you really can't do if you've been writing for two weeks, um, you know, which is why uh, the White Knight system is very short form copy. I want to make, um, the, the goal is that, you know, average person who's never done this before doesn't feel overwhelmed. Um, the bullet points, the headlines can be templated, fill in the blanks. Um, not all, you know, marketing that has followed that rule. You know, uh, there's always the exception to rule and some of them have been incredibly successful, but for the most part, those sections can be templated. Uh, giving, writing out your refund policy, that can be templated. So if we have four sections, you know, the bullets, the headline, the guarantee, and the story, and three of them are templated, 
all we really need to, to focus on learning is that fourth section. It's a story. And it really is um, something that you, it, it takes practice, it takes time. You do it a few times. And one of the things that I, I like to, uh, to do the most is when I have two or three ideas in my head, I will present one of them to different people. I'll, you know, go to, let's say my brother and I'll describe this idea to him and I'll gauge his response. Then I might go to uh, another friend of mine with idea number two and gauge their response. I'm never cross contaminating. I'm never, you know, I'm trying to keep it as separated as possible. And they understand that this is what I do for a living. They understand that I'm looking for some kind of critical feedback like you would get at a focus group. And that means that they're going to think about it a lot more critically. And that just that alone, just, you know, if you're saying this at home and you're writing some copy for a client and you don't know how to phrase it, talk to your spouse about one, talk to your neighbor about the other and see how they, what they say. It really yeah. is not that complicated. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, um, one thing, if people, I don't know how many of your, the people in your program have studied storytelling or, you know, watched um, like the PBS series and Joseph Campbell or anything like that. There, there's a kind of story that people pay money to go see, like a movie or a play or a a book if you know they're they're uh, or tv even i mean you pay for the cable bill or or hulu or or something uh or you're supposed to um but then the, that's not the kind of story we use and so some people think that the story has to be this long thing that takes an hour has a hero's journey with six sections and an inner journey and an outer journey and an opponent and a climax and a resolution and a enlarging gift to the world that the hero gives no that's that's a kind of story we pay money for um when you're going to have a story in copy let me let me give you um, my definition of story. It's it's way too simple, but it'll help you see that it doesn't have to be an hour long. Something happened. Something changed. So let me. Here's not a story. A man walked across the street. Well, nothing really happened. A man walked across the street and met the love of his life. Something yeah. changed. Okay, that's a story. Those two sentences. Um, actually, that's the basis of a lot of stories um, with a few more details filled in. So you can talk about something, someone had a problem or someone has a need, someone has a desire, then something they did about it or something they found and how it solves the desire better, differently, cheaper, more conveniently, more thoroughly faster how it does something preferably to other options and there's your story yeah how, how does three how does what i'm selling improve the customer's life improve their experience yep um you know i in the program um we use an example of a company that does um painting for your home and office and i i sent you that that copy um in there i didn't really tell too much of a story i told what you know the experience of your home feeling 20% larger and feeling fresh and new and breathing new life into it. There's not anything complicated about that. And that's why I use that as an example in here. Um, it really does not need to be this overblown thing. It's, 
as simple as I have, I live in a tiny cramped studio apartment. I repainted the walls and because of this new color, the place feels more spacious and I feel less claustrophobic done. That's really all it needs to be sometimes, which is exactly what this course is designed to do. Yeah. And the process of coming up with that is deceptive, especially for people who are in professions where they're not allowed to make mistakes. And I was in one of those professions as a journalist. um, I make a few mistakes and at the best case I'm fired. The worst case I could be sued. Okay. So I had to be really careful. Now it doesn't mean you can be sloppy, but it, and it doesn't mean you should make any factual mistakes or any slander or liability mistakes in your copy. But one of the things that's been hard for me to learn, and I've learned to do it, it took a while, was to try a few simple ideas and to understand that 11 of them are going to be wrong and the 12th one's going to be a home run. And to be able to live with the tension and especially the strangeness of coming up with a lot of losers in order to come up with a winner. Absolutely. Um, one final thing I would like to discuss here is using humor in your advertising. Um, your thoughts, your feelings, when should you, shouldn't you? This is um, something that over the years I heard that uh, humor kills sales. And I, I stayed away from it. And then I've come to realize that there are there's a time and place to use it and it really increases your sales. And if you're going to be creating these stories, you, depending on what you're selling, throwing a joke in there might be great. I know um, if you remember the old Axe body spray ads, they sensationalized the hell out of the product. You know, you'd spray on this, this cologne stuff and women would be magnetically pulled to you. God would be walking down the street and 20 supermodels would be literally clinging on to him, which helped them brand it had they not been that sensational and they, you know, somebody sprayed on the, the Axe body spray and one girl approached him and started a conversation with him, it wouldn't have worked. So when can you, and how should you use copy and when should you avoid it or humor in your copy and when should you avoid it? Um, the short answer is unless you really know what you're doing, don't um, because what's funny to you um, might not be fine to someone else. Even if it is funny to someone else, if the humor gets more attention than the benefit of the product or the reason the person should buy the product, that's not good. Now, in the case of the Axe body spray, they clearly knew what they were doing. Um, two things that make humor work are exaggeration and speed. So it's really unlikely that in the real world, if you put on Axe body spray, no matter how attractive you are, 20 supermodels are going to come at you that fast. So they used exaggeration and spread and and uh, and speed um, to to make it work. Uh, here's what not to do. Um, so you watch TV? Mm-hmm. Yep. You ever see Limu Limu? Oh and yeah, the, the yeah Liberty Mutual. Oh, I hate that thing. Right. Okay. Uh, I, okay, you're smart. I I was thinking you wouldn't even know what insurance company it was, but. You know, I'm interested. One of my friends in Southern California lives on a ranch near Limu Emu. I want her to get a picture of herself with the emu. I love the emu. I could care less about. I happen to like those commercials. We have different tastes, obviously. I'm sorry, and, they have the worst jingle I've ever heard. Oh, but anyway, I, I, I like it because it's so corny. Uh, it's just 
it's funny. But, but the point is, that's a, a, a perfect example of a really bad way to use humor, okay? Because it doesn't, doesn't make me want the product. It, it just might make me chuckle or might make you want to barf. So, you know, not good. Um, if I, I would say if you're new at this, don't. Just don't. If, if you have a background in sales and you know, and I'm not talking about the icebreaker joke where you, where you come in and, you know, you make a joke about the traffic or the weather or uh, something and, or the company's competition, what dipshits they are. No, I wouldn't do that. But um, if you know how to use humor in, the, in, in a spoken pitch, maybe. I mean, my, my general advice is no, because it's, it's hard enough to get people to take action um, with, without using something that, that's so, I mean, it, humor is like a landmine in some ways. If you step on it, it can blow up, you know. Um, I, uh, I, I've used humor in my copy, but it's usually to make fun of a common enemy. It's okay to punch up. It's really bad to punch down. So when, you know, uh, I mean, if you're doing something about taxes and the IRS is sort of a common enemy and, you know, you might say, well, you know, you know, this will give, because they'll get through your form so fast with no problems, they'll be able to spend an extra hour watching porn on your taxpayer-funded computer, you know, right? That, that's funny or not, but um, it's sort of humorous. But it's really difficult to, and, uh, I mean, you know, you think about a stand-up comedian they have fallen on their face more times than you've ever tried to take a joke. They know what's not And they've fallen work. on their face after spending countless hours refining the hell out of that joke. And it still doesn't work. Right. So you don't get to do the same kind of field testing with your jokes that they do. They're doing it in front of a live audience. It, um, I mean, I, you know, I love humor. I've, I have friends who are comedians. I've, I even tried stand-up once killed hated it never want to do it again um no i i would just say probably not yeah um, i that, that's i only bring it up because that's something that i've heard from a lot of um members white knight system that they would uh you know that was something that was typically in their writing and um i, I i've always said like the only times that i've used humor in my copy is when I know I can sensationalize the living hell out of it to the point where it's absurd. Um, I was doing some pro bono work for an animal rescue and adoption charity who was having um, a adoption event a couple of years ago. And on the um, outside of the, the cages where each of the individual dogs and cats were kept, I wrote a description for each one that was over the top. I said, you know, that you know, let's say it was like a little chihuahua. I said, it's single-handedly save the earth from a giant meteor strike, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I created clever little descriptions like that for each of the animals and people liked it and the, the, they adopted the animals and it was very successful. Shy of something like that, I stay away from humor. Well, I think one of the reasons your people may be using it is they haven't really been doing this long enough to make the difference between copy that is meant to sell and copy that is meant to keep the people in on Madison Avenue in caviar and champagne. Uh, namely, there are, a, there's a lot of advertising that's out there that keeps running, that, that keeps paying for a lot of the 
stuff on television, a lot of the programs. And so it's easy to make the assumption that that advertising is good and that it works. And there's a very little proof that it does work. And a, a lot of, a lot of hints that it probably doesn't, but when you're a small business, you can't afford to, to roll the dice that way. And if no, no, it's, it's, it's one thing for an Irish pub to have a little chalkboard outside that has a clever joke on there, you know, soup of the day, whiskey with ice cube <laughs> croutons. Like th- that's one thing, you know, like that's it. fine. Yeah. Yeah. But it, unless you're hired to come up with those blackboard ideas outside of the bar, stay the hell away from it. Yeah. I mean, um, if people want humor, they'll go to a comedy club or turn on uh, comedy central or something, you know? Uh, and you know, I think the other thing is people don't understand how to be creative with stories and features and benefits, but they know how to make jokes. So they think, well, I'll make it interesting to read by this. But boy, if you make it interesting to read and you don't also lock in the reader's attention and action to what you want them to do, doesn't matter how interesting it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, David, I cannot thank you enough for being here and uh, doing this interview with me. This has been a ton of fun. I'm positive that the people that watch this are going to get a ton out of it. Uh, Super helpful. Again, I highly suggest everyone um, start subscribing to the Copywriters Podcast. It's fantastic. It's definitely nothing that's going to be like too obscure and over your head. It's great for people that are just getting started and people are more experienced. your books, you know, headlines that make you millions and uh, fantastic. You've, you, you're, you're an absolute legend. Like, uh, what else can I say? Um, if people Thanks. wanted to, to find out more, to get in touch with you somehow or, or learn from you, how can they do that? Well, I don't work with beginners, okay? So, um, it, and it's, it's not snobbery. It's, I, I can't help them. I haven't been successful that way. But when someone has your level of experience, maybe three, four, and they're making pretty good money and they'd like to take it to the next level. Garfinkelcoaching.com talks about my coaching programs, my critiques. Your critiques are great. I've done them um, for sellers that I knew would generate millions. I've, I've paid for your, your copy critiques because you go in there and just a few simple suggestions can be the difference between six and seven figures. It is well worth it. That. No, thank you. Yeah, um, I've I've heard that before, and I believe it. That's why I continue to do them. I yeah, really want to make a, a difference in people's lives when they have a business or when they're copywriters or both. Absolutely. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, this has been a ton of fun. You're welcome. It's fun talking to you too, Jess. Good Great. to see you. You too.